all of the other small business owners that is like in the snap of a finger willing to help you and wants to help you and want to see you succeed. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hello again, listener, and welcome back to the Small Minded Podcast. I am so excited to bring this episode to you today. I am welcoming my friend Lily Beringer of Beringer Family Farms to Small Minded to share her story of being a third generation farm her in rural Iowa. Now, I know Lily from when I was a teacher and she was at the high school. Actually, there's a part of the episode where she talks about being in my classroom and I couldn't remember. I knew for sure that I taught her brother. But anyway, she was in my class too. And then post high school, she tells the story about how she wanted to just get out. She wanted to go experience the world, try other things. And then leaving her small town actually is what made her want to come back. And at only the age of 25 years old, Lily has such an inspiring story to share. Not only did she purchase her family's 110-acre farm, but she also has tried innovating and diversifying what her farm operation does by selling direct-to-consumer beef cuts with Beringer Family Farms meat. Uh, In addition, she has a full-time job. (laughs) Like, you just, the mind boggles at how she, at her age, is able to do so many things and to such a degree of success. This conversation was so enjoyable, and I know that you are going to love it just as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode with my friend, Lily Beringer. I'm so happy that we made this work. Lily, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Lily, if you guys don't follow her already, is just an amazing human. Like if you follow her on Instagram, you'll see from her stories that she is just doing all the things. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, you've already run circles around me. And I'm just (laughs) so thankful that we were able to find a time to get you on the podcast and discuss what you're doing, like in the farm, with your beef business, in your full-time job, with your family, all the things. We're going to cover it all today, Lily. Are you ready? (laughs) Uh, Ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So I already gave the listeners a little preview in the introduction, but why don't we let you speak for yourself? Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Cool. So as Molly mentioned, my name is Lily Beringer. I'm a third generation farm her, I like to say, Um, outside of Cascade, which is my hometown and where actually Molly lives as well. So that's one thing with us that's probably uh, a little more unique is we're from the same place. And she was my English teacher in high school. So (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to remember, I know I had your brother. I was like, I can't remember if I had Lily in class. I know you were in school, but I couldn't remember if I had you in a class or not. 
Yeah, and cougar time. I remember that part because we always went to the hallway and got drinks and you let us do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how I parent too. Sometimes I'm just like, whatever, it's fine. You guys will be five minutes. Oh, funny. So anyways, um, like I was saying, I'm a third generation farmer. Um, My grandpa started in the 1950s and then it was my dad and my uncle that continued on the farm. And um, I'm one of 26 grandchildren and I'm the only grandchild that's taking over our family farm to hopefully bring it into the next future generation, which is exciting, but also scary if you're anywhat familiar with current ag times. So I'm 25 years old and I purchased my first 110 acre farm in March of 2020. So like right when COVID hit, I closed on my farm. So that was a little crazy. And how that all happened was also a little crazy because it was through my grandparents' estate when my grandma passed away that we just had to settle everything. So it was a lot all at once, but here I am. Um, We primarily are beef farmers. When grandpa was here, we fed around 1,200 head of cattle at a, of our own cattle at a time, always on feed. Um, and then we also have row crops. Mostly everything row crop-wise goes for the cattle feed. Um, and then kind of through the transitions of taking over and where my focus is, I focus a lot more on the cow-calf side. That's kind of my baby, what I really love and have a big passion for. So. We started with just a spring calving herd, so like between March through April, we would be calving, but as we'll get into a little bit later, I started a beef business too, and in order to have our calves ready for more times throughout the year to be able to sell, just last year, as I bought the farm, I also added a fall herd, so then it allows me to have calves ready at different times of the year for me to be able to sell, so Primarily, like I said, on the beef side, um, we're mostly all straight Angus on the cow side, and that's kind of how I market my beef. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh, Lily. So, and this is your personal farm and um, your beef business, but you also are full-time employed as well, correct? Yes, correct. Um, I also work full-time for Purina Animal Nutritionist as a beef nutritionist. So. My day job is visiting farms every day, all day, working with other farmers to help develop a feeding program for their animals. So it depends on what, you know, if it's the cow-calf side or if it's the feedlot side on which aspect and what you kind of do. But yeah, that takes a lot of time as well. I mean, at the end of the day, I know where I want to be long-term and hopefully by adding this new recent beef business, it'll get me there. But I enjoy what I do. So that's one big part, but it's just a lot of time and I don't have much time based on everything that I do most days. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Cause like just hearing all the things that you are doing, like some of that is news to me, like having the year round, almost cow calf pairs, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, like we're actually calving I'm- right now while harvest is happening. So it's just chaos all the time. Oh my gosh. Well, and like, I'm not very familiar with farming. Like I'm around it obviously, but like we don't have very many cow calf pairs, but I remember when we did. And I just remember like that few weeks in the springtime was like go time. So I can't imagine like you're stretching that out all year long. Oh my gosh. 
we had a couple month break and then September 1st is kind of, you know, the cutoff of when we bring the fall cows home to start calving. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So we'll get more into all of those different things throughout today's episode. Plus we'll talk about what you do in all your free time and keep yourself (laughs) entertained. (laughs) My big question from like letting you introduce yourself is you're obviously very involved in farming. You're obviously very connected and passionate about your family's roots in farming. So was this something that you always saw for yourself? Is this always the path that you thought you would take career-wise? Or was that something that kind of developed post-high school? Good question. So I have always just had a very, very strong interest with the farm. Ever since I could literally walk, I was just outside with my dad, with my grandpa. I've been running equipment since I was like five years old. I actually used to have to put a rock on the skid loader in order for me to drive it because I wasn't heavy enough because my nickname when I was younger was peanut because I was like, I was just so small all the time. I was like always behind on all of that. So always had to do that. And then as I kind of got older or went through high school or whatever, I mean, I always still was involved on the farm. My punishment growing up was actually having to stay inside. So everybody (laughs) always knew that's what I did. And I always went to cattle sales with my grandpa. Basically, everything that I'm doing is giving back to what my grandpa has started because he is my best friend. He's my absolute hero. I just miss him every single day. But um, I hope he's really proud of what I'm trying to do. (laughs) That's for sure. Uh, And then when I went to college, Obviously, I knew I wanted to be in agriculture, but I wasn't sure like if I was going to go back to the farm afterwards or what I really wanted to do. And kind of growing up, I always was like, I just am going to move out west and get away from here. Like, you know, you're like, Mm -hmm. there is a benefit to small town life. But also when I was younger, some of the small town gossip and that kind of stuff got to me. So I was like, I'm getting the heck out of here. And So then my, it was my sophomore year of college. I just went in with an animal science degree because I knew I liked animals and ag, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I had an internship on a 10,000 head um, feedlot out in Colorado, my summer of my sophomore year. So I moved like 14 hours away from home all by myself. I was the only girl on the feedlot and this life was not shaped up the way that I thought it was going to be. And it was like the summer from hell. And after that, I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And that is moving home. (laughs) So then from there, that was when it was kind of the deciding factor after that summer where it was like, yeah, the farm is what I like to do. It's what I want to do. And just unfortunately, I guess not unfortunately, because everything happens for a reason, but just from me moving home from college, it just wasn't feasible that right away, that's what I could be doing full time. So um, it's something to work towards someday, obviously, but there just wasn't a time and place yet for that aspect of it. So I guess I have now I say the best of both worlds, because I still get to be on farms all day just for a full time job. And then come home and farm. (laughs) (laughs) All day long. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up the fact that Small towns, while obviously this podcast is all about how awesome small town life is, there are some drawbacks to it. Like you said, there is small town gossip. There is like this perpetual, like you're thinking everybody's watching you because there's only so many people in your community and they know all of your business. And so as a young person, 
there are so many people who have that call to like get out, right? Yeah. I'm so glad that you feel you had that feeling and you went and you did it and you pursued it and you had that courage to like go there. But then you had like the realization and the self-awareness to be like, okay, never mind. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go back and do it because there's some people who might have not like listened to their gut feeling and maybe tried to force it to work. But I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that you trusted yourself and you trusted your gut and you made that move to come back. Yeah. That's just kind of usually how I live. I mean, if there's an opportunity, I always try to take it because I'd rather do it and maybe like it or learn from it than to always just constantly wonder, well, what if, what if? And when I'm thinking back, like to kind of high school years, obviously, like I have mentioned, I always was with the farm and I always was kind of involved with that. So like, as far as what kind of group you get put in when in school, I was always like, oh, you're that country kid kind of thing. And that, that is what really kind of got to me where I was like, I'm getting out of here. Well, it was after moving home where it was like, no, I'm going to embrace this because if somebody is, you know, going to be saying those things or have those judgments, well, then tell, watch me, you know, like it doesn't matter that I'm just the girl and I'm doing this. So then I kind of shifted my mindset of it. And now it's just been really fun to, I guess, just show different people about what you're doing and to show them that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or whether you're a boy or girl or anything like you can do it. Oh, I love that, Lily. I'm so, you're just so inspirational. This is great. I hope all, I hope like younger people listen to this and they can like get some motivation and inspiration from you too. Um, Well, thank you. So can you walk us through when you decided to come back home, you said that the opportunity to be full-time on the farm wasn't quite there. It hadn't like come to fruition yet. So you decided to pursue a full-time position And then when did the opportunity present itself? When did you start getting that inkling that maybe those 110 acres that you said you purchased in March 2020, when did you start getting that indication that, oh, this might be something I'm interested in and this might be something that I can actually make happen? Uh, Good question. I don't even know where to begin. So, um. The whole farm that I had to buy, basically, um, the will was wrote differently from one um, grandparent than the other, and it was a big family mess. And I basically, I got told the night of my grandma's wake that I had 60 days to buy the farm. And it was like out of nowhere because originally how things are supposed to be, The farm wasn't supposed to be sold until my uncle passed away and he's 60 something. So like none of this was in our plans at all whatsoever. And so I guess it's by the grace of God. Everything happens for a reason. I actually went to the FSA office. So when I found this out, I was obviously freaking out because it's my grandparents' home farm. It's the very first farm that he's ever started. And to know that it like could potentially just be sold out from under us in like the snap of a finger just like still makes me sick to this day because it's like, that was the first farm. That's where my dad, you know, was raised. That's where we've had all of our memories. And so anyways, obviously land is really high and it's really hard for a beginner farmer to get started. So I went to the FSA office, which is the farm service agency and like presented my cash flow and my balance statement. And that's basically my plan of how I was going to buy this farm. And I got rejected three times. 
And like I said, I only had like 60 days to buy this. So it was terrible. (laughs) It was so bad. And I don't, I just in the back of my head was like, I can't let this go. I can't give up. And I just kept reworking numbers, reworking plans, reworking ideas. And finally it went through and I got the farm. So yeah, it's been about a year, almost no. Yeah. A year. That it's been like that. I made my first payment and now I only have 39 more to go. (laughs) (laughs) Not that anybody's counting. Yeah, not that anybody's (laughs) counting. Yeah. So I guess I wouldn't say that it was like, here's a nice transition of how you can do this. It was more of a, this came out of nowhere and you had to react really fast or basically everything that you thought was going to go the way you wanted to and how you were going to farm could be gone because all the farms were going to be sold. Oh, I, again, I'm so inspired by your courage to take that action because as we know from stories of other entrepreneurs on the podcast, a lot of times people go into business or go into this idea that they have with a plan and they probably have a business plan and they have things really structured. But there are a lot of times like your story that the opportunity presents itself. It wasn't even like in your five-year plan. But you have to decide now. And I just think that's a real testament to your courage. And like you said, your willingness to say, well, how can we make this happen so that you're not thinking down the road? Like, what if I would have done that? So that's a real testament to you. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I can't imagine now, like, not having the farm. So like I said, everything happens for a reason. But in the moment, going through all that process, which it doesn't matter what business you're in, when you have any of those like big roadblocks come across that literally seem almost impossible to get by. You're like, how in the heck do I do this? So. Oh my gosh. And for people who maybe are listening and they're not directly involved in farming, I know a lot of rural areas and a lot of people who are listening, they probably have some kind of ag connection or rural basis, but like maybe people don't understand just how hard it is to get into farming If you have to purchase the land yourself, if you have to then purchase like your equipment or your livestock, like this is a significant investment of capital and equity. And to be able to, like you talked about, go into the FSA office, bring your numbers, present them, and then get denied three times. Oh my gosh, that must have been a major blow. So, what can you like, what kind of drove you to say, I'm going to try it again? And like, did you ever feel like, oh, maybe I should just stop now? Or were you just going to keep going up until that 60-day mark? Oh, I yeah. I I cried so much. <laughs> oh, like, oh my God, so much. It was so bad. And I guess to maybe put things into perspective for the listeners that maybe do- doesn't understand farming and how that works. So the the home farm or what it, of the farm that I bought, um, there was only 28 acres out of 110 that were tillable so that you could put in corn or soybeans. The rest is pasture timber type ground. And that a lot of times is really hard to cash flow in order to have enough income off of that because how can you make your income off of that to make your land payment? So I obviously couldn't make a land payment just on 28 acres of corn. So I had to basically think of a way of how can I like maximize this ground to be the most efficient and to make 
the most money off it, or at least try to make money off of it just to make my payment. So in order to do that, like first I was like, well, I'll keep the corn in. And then when they said no, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the corn out and I'm going to put it into pasture. Well, in order to put that into pasture, then I had to get fence and then I had to get water. And then I had to increase my cow herd an extra 40 cows than what I originally had had. So it was just a lot of steps all at once to just kind of figure out really fast. And it wasn't even just that like the farm payment was making me go in debt. I had extra money of now the seed cost and the fence cost and extra 40 cow cost. It just, yeah, it was just a lot all at once. Oh, gosh, I imagine. And then did you lean on, like, were your parents there to kind of help you walk through these numbers? Or was there uh, another person or agency that you worked with to get these numbers and work them through? Yeah, so the nice thing, well, for one, my parents, but um, the cow-calf side, which is what I had mentioned earlier that I'm really, like, my heart is in, and this is where I was going to be able to grow my cow herd, isn't really anything that we have had in the past. And so they didn't know how to run the numbers on that side because it's not something we've done. We've always just had feeder cattle that we finished out. So that was a little different. But the nice thing is with my job and what I do, I work with cow-calf owners all the time. So I actually had like three or four customers that I'm really close with that they I can't bless their hearts. Oh my gosh. They saw me cry way more than what I should have. But I like, it's just people that have, are have been in the business for forever. They have a lot of cows. They're very successful. And I just knew that they would be able to help me or at least try to walk me through what I need to. So I would say they are probably my biggest resource on it. There was a couple of my customers that I really reached out to and was like, listen, I need your help. (laughs) How can I run these numbers? How can I do this? Oh, I love that. And I think that just kind of speaks to the small town mentality of like, help your neighbors when they're in need. And also the farming community where everybody is, I mean, legit people help each other out and they talk ideas and they're trying to like, I mean, there's always going to be people that maybe you're not being like sharing all your secrets about how you're going to yield or anything like that. But for the most part, if somebody's just starting up and they have questions, farmers are typically really willing to help somebody get started and get going. And yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So it was them kind of giving back to trying to get a young person started. And then the really cool part now is now that it like actually is reality, like a couple of them had visited and have seen what I've done. And they're just like, I'm so happy for you. And I'm like, but you help me. (laughs) So awesome. Yeah. So when you got the news that you could make the purchase, everything went through, it was locked in. How did you celebrate? I went to the bar. (laughs) Love it. We did. We we were in the lawyer's office and we signed the papers and we left and went to the bar and had a few drinks because Uh it was so terrible to get to that aspect, that point. And so we had to celebrate. (laughs) Good for you. That's Actually, the Bent Rim in Cascade. That's where we went. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a time you'll never forget. No, that's right. (laughs) Awesome. So tell me, I guess, okay, so listener, I gave Lily a list of podcast prep questions. And I'm like, you know, we usually like kind of go off the questions. Then at some point we kind of veer off. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to go right down the question line right now. (laughs) Um, This is 
where I feel like it makes the most sense to talk about. When did you decide? So you got the farm, you got your cow-calf pairs, you got things going. At what point were you like, I'm ready to diversify a little bit and I want to try getting into the beef business direct to consumer? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So I guess going back a little bit, when I was in college, a lot of first my college roommates and then a lot of my friends would always tell me like how unique it was for what I was doing and all the things that I did. Cause I actually didn't really stay, uh, on the weekends in college, I was home pretty much every weekend farming. And so I would like come back and they're like, how are your weekend? And I tell them what I did. And they're just like, seriously, no girls do that, Lily. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I just brushed it off for at least a year. And finally, one of them was like, I think you should just start a page and just share what you're doing. And I'm like, okay. And I took it like an egg advocacy class and they really encourage you to do that because I mean regardless of where you're from or what you know like the gap between farmers and consumers is just growing further and further apart every day that I was like okay well if I can share and just show one person something that they didn't know so then that's kind of how that initially got started that was even prior to all of this stuff with buying the farm I just kind of started my page well as I got sharing I had a couple people ask me like Hey, can I purchase your beef? And I was like, no, you can't. I don't know how you can do that. <laughs> and so then it kind of like got my interest in that at least. And um, it was actually prior to my grandma passing away that I had started like the beginning stages of at least doing my research and getting an idea of how I could market my calves that way. But then when grandma passed away and the whole farm thing happened where it was like, that got put aside and I was like, okay, I need to buy the farm first because that was a big change of things. So Mm -hmm. after that, after I bought the farm, I was, I kind of went back to my original plan of like, how can I do this? And I was like calling around lockers and everything. Well, that was actually right when COVID hit as well. And so then all of the local lockers, like in in two days time, were all booked up for like two to three years in advance. Because I wanted to do quarters and halves just to start to get like my feet wet a little bit. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to take this idea of a beef business and wait two to three years because now with COVID, all these lockers are full. So a couple of my friends that I follow on Instagram were selling just, you know, individual retail cuts and they were either just from farmers markets or some of them were even shipping. And so then that's when I was like, okay. I messaged them. I'm like, help me out. How do you do this? Or what did you do? And then they recommended a course, an online course that Five Mary's Farms of out in California put on. And so I was like, then I had to decide, am I going to do this or am I not? And I had found a locker that actually just opened in May of 2020. So like right in the heat of COVID, it was the first USDA certified locker, like small scale that was willing to work with people like I wanted to do. Like they cut, their whole main business goal is to work with farmers like this. That I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like everything's falling in place. This is just what it's supposed to be. And so then I took that course and it kind of taught me basically everything that you'd ever need to know. And then finally I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. And so in January of 2021, so it hasn't even been a year is when I launched my beef business. I first took three head to the locker. And like, I'm, these are all ho- our home race calves that we, you know, raise and finish out or whatever. 
And I just got them all in individual cuts. So like one steak per package, one pound of ground beef per package, one roast, you know, and I was just sitting here like, oh, this can't be that bad. And I did a little research and I got a couple of freezers from a bar that was closing. So they were on discount and I'm like, okay, we're going to try this. <laughs> and we converted the old shop bathroom, which it wasn't a bathroom anymore, but now that's kind of like my freezer room. So I was just in shock when we first brought the first three head home on like a Friday night in January. There was so much beef. Like me, <laughs> me and mom were just like, how are we ever going to get this in the freezer for one and two? How are you ever going to sell this? Like, I always knew how much, you know, beef was produced from an animal, but everything that we've done before was like multiple stuff in a package. So when you break it down even further, there was just so much. And from there, I would just, then I'm like, okay, I have no, I have no choice. I need to sell this stuff, you know? So um, I started my website, started sharing it all over social media. And now it's came, what, roughly eight months later, I had a goal of 10 head in my first year and I'm already over 15. And I offer farm pickup and I ship. So I ship twice a month to all 50 states. Right now, I am at 33 states, I think, the last I checked of what I've shipped to since I started in January. And yeah, that's, it's just, God's good. That's all I got to say. Oh my gosh, Lily. Okay, so I'm going to back up to something you said in the very beginning of this segment. So you said your friends were like, they were asking and other people were asking if they could buy beef directly from you like a couple years ago. And you mm -hmm. said, no. Why couldn't they have bought beef from you before? Well, so, I mean, everything that we've always fed out for ourselves is just sold to right to the local sale barn or it's sold directly to like a packing house, which that's just so large scale that eventually, yes, you would be able to eat it possibly at like a high V or a fairway where you'd buy it, but it's not anything that you could directly just buy straight from us. And there's a lot of rules and regulations and licensing, license, license. I, I can't say that you word for it. some reason <laughs> <laughs> that it was a big hurdle of things to go through in order to get to that point. And then since I went even further and went to the individual cuts and knew I wanted to ship, you had to have a USDA certified stamp on all of your meat. So it can't be one that I could just get from the locker in Dyersville or anything. Because if anybody's familiar with that, all of those always have on a stamp on it that says not for sale. So that's because they're not a USDA certified locker. And it's just supposed to be for your own personal consumption, not that you could sell. So at yes, I mean, and any store you'd purchase beef from, it could potentially be our beef, but it never could be traced back to, you know, this is actually directly off my farm right to your doorstep. Yes. I think there's so many people that don't know that, that aren't familiar with how money regulations and how much red tape is around the process, because it seems so common sense that like you have animals, you have connection to a locker. I want the meat. Can't we just do that? But no, you cannot. There's a lot of rules and laws around food and food production, and it inhibits farmers from being able to do that even locally. 
So just yes. like what you said, you have to go through certain procedures and go to specific processing plants and they have to have that USDA designation in order for you to purchase outright from the farmer themselves, correct? Correct. Yeah. Actually, when I was doing my research for my lockers, there's not a actual locker in the state of Iowa that is USDA certified that would besides like the large scale they, you know, take 2000 head in a day. So the locker that I found is actually two hours away up in Wisconsin that I go to. And so maybe that's changed now because through the COVID thing, at, the nice thing with the COVID is the fact that there's different programs being launched and there's a lot of, there's kind of a movement of different ways to help it be easier for farmers to now be able to sell their meat the way that I am. But Prior to March of last year, it was extremely difficult. You're right. That could be totally the silver lining is getting that supply chain maybe a little bit shorter and maybe making it easier for consumers to work with farmers to know where their food's coming from. And yeah. I agree. I think that there's a lot more awareness and a lot more, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but like on the consumer end, I think consumers want that more and more. And so you're positioned mm -hmm. extremely well for that. Yeah. Exactly. So you said that you did a course with Five Mary's Farms out of California, and that mm -hmm. kind of gave you a crash course in everything you were going to need to get this business off the ground. Were they specifically training for shipping food product, or was their course just in general about launching like an ag-based business? Um, I'm drawing a blank on what it was called right now, but she has a a bunch of different courses and I took the one that covers everything. So it was actually the most expensive. I think it was called like, like, Oh, small business from starting a business from scratch or something along the lines of that. And so, yes, there was a segment in there that was all about perishable and shipping, but it started like, you know, chapter one, what's your idea? Chapter two, what do you want to do? Three, build your brand, build a logo. Like it just took you through everything of that. And because I took the one that was like the broad of everything, it gave me access to like the, um, like the more sub chapters of yeah. it. And so then I could then take an additional like 15, 20 some chapters just strictly on shipping. Uh, okay. So what has that was going to lead right into my next question in my head, it would be shipping, but what has been like the most challenging part of doing this direct to consumer beef business? Um, when I first started, I would say shipping. However, once you have your box and your liner figured out and the size that you want and you have like your dry ice supplier locked in, like once you have certain things just, you know, finalized, you get in your routine and it's pretty self-explanatory and you just, I don't know, I just kind of get in my groove and I go for it. Um, but for me, I guess the biggest challenge is still is the fact of, I, like I said, I just kind of threw some freezers in our shop bathroom and called it good. But I'm limiting, as of right now, I would say I'm limiting my ability to continue to grow by not having additional freezer space because my steaks sell out super fast. And then I still have a bunch of like ground beef and roast left. But because I have 
limited freezer space, I can't just keep getting other stuff processed because then I don't have any room. So I need to get a walk-in freezer or like a freezer trailer or something to then make that bigger. But that's also a lot of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I didn't take out any loans to start this business. And I am very much on a tight budget that I just haven't made that leap yet. I will for sure have something by spring next year because it was extremely difficult to get meat home, still frozen, sorted, and put away during the summer when it was a two-hour drive back. So I can't go through that again. But now I just didn't want to take that big leap initially because I'm like, am I going to do this? Am I not? Is this going to work? Is this not? So but now that would probably have... be the biggest thing. Yeah. Okay. So now, but now you've got proof of concept. And so you know that this can go and you know that people want it. There's a demand for it. So now, yeah, once you're, you're yeah. ready, you can make that next step. That's awesome, Lily. That's yeah. So awesome. And I would say the second challenge, which this is what any business owner can relate if you're just getting started, like obviously the biggest discount that you can get is buying certain things in bulk. So like the boxes and the liners or like any type of pamphlets or literature that I want to like throw in with what I am, the more you order, the cheaper it is. Well, when you're just initially getting started and you don't have the budget to order 500 boxes and liners all at once, let alone have storage for that. Mm -hmm. That has been a really big challenge as well. But thankfully, um, other small business owners, one being Lindsay from Chilled Freezer Meals, she was just on the podcast a couple weeks ago. She is amazing and is so helpful. And we actually go in on boxes and liners together. And so that's just been such a rewarding and a really cool feeling with starting a new business is all of the other small business owners that is like in the snap of a finger willing to help you and wants to help you and want to see you succeed. And on days where you're just like, can't imagine keeping on going, somebody like that sends you a message and it's like, keeps you moving. So that's been such a cool thing. I never would have expected that that'd be maybe one of my favorite parts of it is just all of the friendships and the opportunities and just the connections you get to make with it. Oh, that's, yes. I knew that you and Lindsay had worked together, so I was going to work it in somewhere. But yeah, she, I think it's so important to touch on the collaboration that you guys have been able to put together. And like you said, not just in a way of like sharing supplies and making it work that way, but also like having someone to bounce ideas off of or seek motivation from. Because sometimes when you're starting a small business, especially like what you're doing, if there's not a lot of people locally who are doing that same thing, it can feel a little bit isolating. And having someone to chat with or pick the brain of or get their advice, it's just so beneficial when you are trying to take those first steps to get your business off the ground. So I'm so thankful. How did you and Lindsay like initially get paired up? Was it through social or was there another? Yeah, I know. That's what I was just going to lead into. That's just the beauty and such cool thing with social media. Like some people can be the bare bad news with it, but I have so much good that has came from my Instagram and my Facebook page and the people that you've gotten to meet from it, that it's just, it's just so crazy. So yeah, I don't know. She must, I think she followed me one day or something. I can't remember how it happened. 
then she started asking me all these questions of stuff that I've been posting that she didn't know about. And one thing led to another. And yeah, I pretty much, I talked to her at least once a week, if not more. And she also has been a huge asset of taking a lot of my ground beef off my hand when I get stuff done. So she buys it in bulk, like two, three, four, 500 pounds of ground beef at a time. And that is huge. So yeah, um, there's a, just so many cool things with different small business owners that you wouldn't have known about that they were even there or what you could do if it wasn't for social media. Oh, I love that. And obviously, yeah, my social media heart is like, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Because like you said, you can, like it does get beat up a lot because there's a lot of downsides. But being able to connect with people in meaningful ways and then be able to like build something or get creative inspiration or figure something out in a way that you never would have considered. Like those are all of the really great benefits of having these social media connections at the touch of our fingers. Absolutely. Yes, totally agree. Okay, Lily, we're getting close on time. So I have more questions left than we have time, but let's, we're going to drill it down to just a couple more. So you've accomplished so much in such a short amount of time. This might be a hard question to ask, but what are some of the goals that you have for the future of your farm, the future of your beef business? What do you see in one year or five years from now? So, uh, I guess, a you know, new goal or what even the word I'm trying to say, the, the next goal I want to reach in the next six months, whatever that means is by January, I think it's fifth or sixth. I have to look back on my, based on my first Instagram post of when my quote, quote, one year is, but I really want to launch a farm club subscription, um, where you know, it gives people the option of two different sizes of boxes and they can do it monthly or every month, two month or three month. Um, and so like for my one year, I want to hopefully have that, all those details figured out to launch that on my one year, because based on following some other accounts and somewhat through five Marys, that's just a one way to consistently get stuff moving. And so and kind of I'm really going to try hard with that. Stream. Yep. Yes. Yeah. But there's so much back work to that, that I didn't realize was there. I just got to find the right program and all that stuff to make it work. But that's like my goal that I'm working towards right now. And then from there, I don't know. It's just I've every day there's new things that come across that I'm like, wow, I would have never thought that this was going to happen. Um, but I, I have a one year goal. So like a year from today that hopefully I don't know. I don't want to jinx myself, but hopefully maybe I can just be farming. So we'll see how that happens based on how sales go and everything with that. Um, Because at some point, if I want to keep growing or put my beef business even further, like something else has got to give. So I just can't have all, I don't have enough time to get everything done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, the subscription and just continuing to grow my accounts because everything that I do is through social media. Um, I don't go to any farmer's markets. I don't have any ads or anything as I guess as of this time. So everything sales wise is all through social media. So I'm just figuring out ways to continue growing that aspect. Um, And who knows? I don't know. I guess I'm just 
I'm just really humbled and I'm really, I don't really have words to describe how much I feel like I've already accomplished in just a short amount of time. So I guess who really knows <laughs> what oh, the next really. few years can bring. This is awesome. And I think that like kind of to bring it full circle back to like when you said you were in high school and people kind of labeled you as like the country girl and you kind of were like, oh man, that I don't like that feeling. But then you said you owned that. You decided to flip the script on them to flip the script on yourself and then look at where you are and look at what you're doing. This is incredible. And I really hope that other people, especially younger kids, listen to this and they can be inspired by your story. This is awesome. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, Lily, why don't you tell listeners where they can find you online and go ahead and plug what you have going on. If you want them to come over to the beef business, do you have any specific cuts that you need to unload? Go ahead and just Plug your business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, it's Beringer Family Farms on Instagram and Facebook. I usually post daily stories, updates, that kind of thing. Um, and everything as far as ordering goes on BeringerFamilyFarms.com. I ship every other week, so the second and fourth Monday of every month. And if you actually get subscribed to our email list, I have a weekly special every other week as well. So that a lot of times get sent first to the email subscribers. So it's usually 20, 30% off or more, that kind of thing. And I just kind of put different cuts together that I think people would like. Otherwise I have just different beef boxes. Like I have like a grill and chill box or I have like a steak sampler box, a fajita box or fiesta box. Otherwise, literally, if you just want one steak or if you want, you know, one pound of ground beef, you can just do that too. So you can choose the options that are there. You can build your own. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> so uh -huh. farm pickup or shipping, that's kind of what I do. That's great. And especially as we're going into fall and winter, we're going into that like good old comfort food season. Like nothing's better than a roast or like oh, just like a nice casserole. Yes. <laughs> agree. I feel like my Midwest is showing when I say that, but uh yeah. And so go check out Beringer Family Farms for all of your beef needs. Awesome. Yes. Okay, and one so thing I will have to add, I didn't say this, I guess. The kind of, I guess, niche with our beef is it's dry aged. If people aren't familiar with that, um, it's hung an extra 21 days. And so uh, it's additional marbling and tenderness that will be in the meat. So if you haven't ever had anything dry aged before, I would encourage you to do that because it's just pretty mouthwatering, to be honest. <laughs> oh, that's, I did not know that. That's, yeah, that's really intriguing. A lot of the stuff that you buy from the grocery store is what they call wet aged. So it's just hung for maybe seven to 10 days is usually the standard. So I pay an additional amount to hang it extra longer because the microfibril muscles continue to keep breaking down while it hangs. So then you, at, and the end result is you have a more higher marbled, more tender, more flavorful cut at the end. Awesome. I feel like you could, we need to like record a commercial with all of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lily, we are entering what I like to call the small tack round. So I just am going to rattle off a bunch of questions. You just answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. You ready? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lily, can you share a few of the farm hers that you follow for inspiration? Sure. Um, let me think. There's so many. I don't know which ones to choose. 
Um, so that's a hard one. Modern farm chick is a dairy farmer in Wisconsin. She has two twins. Um, and she far, she shares a lot of on the dairy side that I really enjoy everything that she posts. She's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, and then Caitlin Henderson is in Kansas. She's more on like a faith type base with it, but she describes everything they do on the farm with that. So I really, really like her. Um, and then the third one is, I think her handle is, oh, that's Chelsea. Um, she's in North Dakota or South Dakota. I can't remember which one, but I just, I guess, relate to her a lot because she also is just working full-time on the farm and she has kids involved and everything she posts is just like, we do kind of the same practices on our farm like they do. So those are probably my main three that I just really enjoy watching and learning from. Awesome. Okay. I think I probably could guess the answer to this, but I could be wrong. What was your first paid job? Um, I guess besides babysitting, my first job was the daycare in Cascade. So babysitting as well. <laughs> um, that was actually a legit paycheck from it. And then I also worked at the campground in Cascade in high school as well. So those were my first two main jobs. I remembered you being at the daycare, but I forgot. I didn't know that you worked at the campground. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When you do have free time on the nights or weekends, what can we find you doing? Uh, anything on my free time. I'm the most happiest when I'm outside. So um, I love riding my horse when I find time. So just trail riding or also I do a little bit of barrel racing. That's something I really did in high school and I kind of haven't made time for it, but this year I did. So that's been a lot of fun is getting back on my horse and running again. Otherwise, ranger rides or cows, uh, hunting, camping, anything outside, I'm probably the most happy with. Canoeing, kayaking, boating, love anything like that. And I spend a lot of time with my family and friends. Awesome. All right. Just a couple more. Is there a book or a podcast or a person that you go to for business advice or inspiration on the regular or like a specific book that you would recommend to readers or listeners to pick up? Um, unfortunately, you probably don't want to hear this. I don't read very much. I don't remember the last That's time. That's okay. I, I can't imagine when you'd have time to do that. <laughs> yes, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts because with my full-time job, I'm in my vehicle all day. So I just have a podcast on at all times. Um, and it kind of depends as far as what topics and interests I'm listening to, but as far as on the business side, or we could even go into non-business if you just have like fun podcasts that you listen to. Oh, well, I have like ag news ones that I always listen to. I have like my face, faith, spiritual ones. And then I just kind of have, yeah, quite a few business ones. So I listen to yours all the time, every single time it comes out. Um, and the gold digger by Jenna Kutcher, I just mm -hmm. started subscribing to that like a couple weeks ago and I really enjoyed that one as well. A couple of the things she said, I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I didn't mm -hmm. really know that at all. So that's probably the main two, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Last question. What is your favorite part about living in a small town now? So you left for a while, you came back. What's the best perk of small town life? 
I would say I used to think this is a bad thing, but everybody knows everybody. And that's a good thing. You know, you can't walk around and not know somebody and you get out of the town or out of just 30 minutes away and you walk around and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know any of these people. So I, you know, I like that part because really at the end of the day, like, yeah, there's some downsides to everybody knows everybody, but when push comes to shove, if something's really going on, everybody's going to be there for you and people step up and the snap of a finger to help you when you're needed. I can't believe I was saying this, but just last week, uh, we had a little bit of a fiasco where I winged my calves and they broke the wire in the panel and they got out and they were running all over the road on Monday morning when I showed up. Oh, and we no. had like every neighbor under the sun stop, like get out of their vehicles, chase the calves down the road, put their vehicle as a roadblock, help get them all in. And I'm just like sitting there shaking my head like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. But they didn't, you know, they were late to work or they stopped their tractor. It didn't matter. They were going to help us get them in. Oh, that so is, that is a great thing. story. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And how many of those people have probably been there, done that at some point in time, it's happened to them. Somebody helped them. And now they're just like paying it forward, returning the favor, which yes. I'm sure like someday if that happened to you, you'd help out too. So, oh yes, absolutely. Well, Lily, thank you so, so much for taking the time to do this tonight. I, I just know that so many people are going to connect with this podcast, with your story, with how motivating and inspiring you are. And it was so great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It was so much fun. Awesome. Well, thanks. Bye. Yep. See you later. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small minded.